uh, chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse number 8. Let me read it to you very quickly. The Bible says this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Would you look at your neighbor real quick and say great joy? Not just good joy, but but great joy. But then he says this, which will be to all people, all people. Today what I want to do is I want to speak to you on the subject today of hope. Would you just write down hope if you're taking notes at the top? Last week, we talked about peace and the peace that comes when we begin to understand the story of Christ coming to this world as a baby, the fulfilling of prophecy, the first time God spoke in 400 years, breaking the silence. We talked about peace, and today we're going to be talking about this area of understanding hope. As we find ourselves in the Christmas time, we begin to understand that really you can find yourself in two categories. You find yourself in a place of being full of hope. Or you find yourself in a place of being hopeless. And I think as we look around our culture, as we look around our cities, we look around even for some of our families, we begin to see that for some people, hope is missing. Have you noticed that um, a lot of people, I think I've kind of noticed this, a lot of people wait up till about the week of Christmas to really start getting into the the Christmas spirit, would you say? I know from our family and I, yesterday was uh, the day that we finally got our tree, we finally put up our lights. Um, I have this very strong uh, conviction from, uh, well, I can't say it's from God or the Holy Spirit, but just of me, that Christmas music should not be listened to until after Thanksgiving. I think that's uh, a case in point. December 1st is a good one. Um, I see how everyone's getting very excited about that, but they weren't excited about my Raiders game. Shame on you. I'm praying for you. But it's amazing to me how um, it's like for some people, they don't get in the Christmas spirit quite yet. Maybe it's the busyness of life. Maybe it's the situations of life. But the closer you get to Christmas, the more people begin to get in there. And I think, it's, I think it's because of this. I think there still maybe might be a lot of details to square away. There's a lot of stress. People just seem to, to be in a funk. Now, when you ever think about this, what are we actually saying when we say Merry Christmas to someone? For some of us, we've been conditioned to do that. It's the thing to say. If you're a believer, we're very big on Merry Christmas. We're not too big on Happy Holidays. Um, so I'm like the person at the stores, like when they say Happy Holidays, I'm like, look them in the eye and say Merry Christmas. Uh, I learned a lesson when I was young. Apparently, when you only put Xmas, you take Christ out of Christmas. I didn't know that. So I decided to hop on my roof one day with that fake snow in a can and wrote Merry Xmas until my grandfather pulled around the corner and said, son, what's that on top of the roof? And I said, well, I just wanted to tell our whole neighborhood Merry Christmas. He says, well, you didn't put Christ in there. It says Xmas. So I was like, I'm going to go back up there right now and fix that, Grandpa. Thank you very much. But have you ever noticed that it's, it's like one of those deals where, man, people just get up in arms about it. It's like, ah, happy holidays. Merry. So we say Merry Christmas. Matter of fact, just look at your neighbor real quick and say Merry Christmas. Can you do that real quick? So here's the deal. What are you saying when you say Merry Christmas? Okay, let me give it to you, the definition. What you're saying is, is I want you to have a joyful, festive, watch here, Jesus-filled Christmas. What we're saying is, is of course, I know it's cliche, but Jesus is indeed the reason for the season. Listen, without Christ, for us, there is no point in celebrating. 
he, he is the reason of that. And we said this last week. That's why we believe that any issue in our lives, no matter what it may be, Jesus can fix it. Jesus can fix absolutely everything in life. So when you're saying Merry Christmas, that's what you're saying. But you're also saying that it's a very significant historical event. The birth of Christ, the season that we celebrate, and without a doubt, it's one of the most wonderful times of the year. How many would just say Christmas is their favorite time of the year? Show of hands. All right, I'm going to completely, I, I, I love Christmas. I love Thanksgiving a lot for food. Food purposes only, food purposes only. Here's the thing. For a lot of people, though, they don't find it as being a wonderful time of the year. In fact, many people find themselves really just, just going through the motions. Yesterday, I was fully convicted as we were walking through a tree farm trying to find a Christmas tree because it is a tradition of ours to cut it down every single year. And I know if for some of you that saw the pictures, don't let the little thing fool you, man. That thing took some time to cut down, especially with Jacob and MJ fighting at each other with the saw. But we were walking through this tree farm and my beautiful wife just loves to roam the whole space. Whereas a guy, it's like going shopping. You walk into a store, you see it, you grab it, you're out. No, no, she had to walk every single acre of that place for an adventure when I walked in and saw the tree I wanted right from the get-go. Some of you guys were looking at me. Some of the guys in here are going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I was taught, like, when you go shopping with your wife, just smile and nod. <laughs> Looks great. Looks great. Well, that doesn't really quite carry over too well. So I was walking around, and my wife has a smile on her face, her hot apple cider in her hand. Jacob is off somewhere climbing up something. MJ's, like, meticulously looking for the tree because he's wired like his dad. And uh, I'm just kind of going, like, what? what are we doing? Like, the tree's already there. She wants an adventure. And I was so convicted. Like, no, this is a memory. We're making it. So I got to smile and be there. Although in my head, I'm just going like, I really don't care what tree we pick. But if we take another hour, I don't know if I could take it any longer. But it's like, man, it's so easy to get caught up in the mundaneness of the Christmas time. It's just putting up the lights. It's just doing this. It's Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party. Although when they got really good food, I have no qualms about it. It's all good. But it's easy. Christmas time, I know it's a special time. But for some, it could also just be a time where they're just going through the motions. It's the mundane things of life. It's the problems of life. And what happens is, is it begins to take away all of the joy that people begin to have. In our opening scripture today, we were talking about a group of people who probably found themselves really in the same frame of life, mundaneness. I wouldn't say mediocrity, but in a moment of time where things were, were just normal and we were looking at the shepherds and how really they needed to be saved from their hopelessness. So let me just give you this. Oftentimes, when we think of hopelessness, we begin to think of people who are really down and out. We begin to think of those that are going through um, just, just really strong financial issues, on the verge of depression, maybe a person who is homeless, someone who has suffered a devastating loss. But the reality is, is every one of us in this room, in some way, shape, or form, has dealt with the feelings of feeling hopeless, a situation in our lives. We feel stuck. We feel like there's something that we can't change, or maybe we have an issue going on that's very important, and we just can't see the other way out or the other side of it. Has anybody in this room just ever felt hopeless by a situation to where you were just stuck? Anybody ever feel that before? Like you just don't know what to do. The reality is all of us at some point face this. You see, when we lose our joy and when we lose our peace and we begin to feel hopeless, it is normally because we feel powerless over to, to overcome a particular situation. 
But here's another thing that I've noticed. Sometimes it's not even that we feel hopeless in our whole life, but this one's kind of crazy. It's just like one big area in our lives that we just feel stuck on. It's a marriage or a relationship that's not really working too well, a job or a career situation, a pattern of behavior. And what happens is it begins to to weigh us down. Let me ask you some questions. Where do you feel stuck in your life today if you were just to look at your life? What, What is it? What's that area that when you think about it, you can't find a solution to it. You're, you, you feel hopeless. Where do you feel stuck? Maybe for some of you, you've already answered it in your mind. Matter of fact, maybe the minute I asked the question, it came really, really quick. And the reason it came quick is because it's the only thing you've been thinking about for days, weeks, months, or possibly even years. Today, I want to give you some hope for that area in your life you feel stuck with. And it's found from the Apostle Paul in Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, may the God of, of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There have been times in my life where I have felt hopeless over situations, and I've been drawn to this verse and understood a couple of things. That my hope, my joy, my peace, and what I'm looking for in the midst of the situation that I'm going through, the solution is never found in Rich Shepherd ever. Because Rich Shepherd gets weighed down by life, just like everybody in this room can get weighed down in life if you begin to put the focus on what you think you can do to fix the problem that you are going through. Now, God is going to work through you, but Paul here, he notes a couple of things. It says that as you begin to trust in him, speaking of trust in God. So when I put my, my trust in God, then what happens is, is then I begin to overflow with hope, because it's found only in God. See, the truth is, we, we let ourselves down, amen? Easily. It's easy. I just can't make that happen. But as you begin to trust in God, he begins to help. Listen, understand this. Hope is an expectation of the future that sustains us in the present. I'm going to say that again. Hope is an expectation of the future that sustains us in the present. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. In the moment where he realizes I have to give my life for people, he had to look to a future day where he would be reunited with his Father in heaven and one day be reunited with you and with me. In the present, he had to look to an expectation in the future to help him now. And that's one of the greatest things that we can do in finding hope is sometimes you have to get beyond what you're facing right now and the the heaviness of it and say, wait a minute, hold on. Like Paul said, if I put my trust and my hope in God, there's a day coming in the future where I'm going to be on the other side of this thing. But it's hard when you're here in the now. I, I think so many times if we're talking even in the natural, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror every day. Changes are happening, but because you see yourself all the time, you can't notice them as much. Have you noticed that? But then all it takes is for you to look at one picture 20 years ago, and you're like, oh, man. Right? Oh, don't beat yourself up that bad. It's easy. See, sometimes in life, you have to get out of what you're feeling right now and understand that there's a greater day coming. 
Listen, I don't know how people can live through life with the heaviness without that. I don't get it. I mean, I, I'm perfectly honest. Well, of course, honest. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. To me, it's got to be, it's difficult. I, I just don't know how. And so maybe that's the part of the thing of our job and our role is to help people see that Jesus fixes everything and helps. Let, let's look at these shepherds real quick. And let me just give you three points because I, I do believe as I'm going to show to you here in Scripture and in the customs of the day, that these shepherds had a perspective of what it means to feel hopeless, maybe overlooked, and then be used by God to do something great. The, the first point I want you to write down is this. I want you to notice that the shepherds received the good news first. And this is a fascinating thing. Luke, Luke 2.8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by, by night. Now, God, if you think about it, could have introduced this good news, the best news in the world, to anyone. To the great leaders of the world, to the people with the most resources, to the religious elite. But God chooses to bring the good news of Jesus' birth first to lowly shepherds. Now, throughout Scripture, shepherds ended up being some of the, the Bible's greatest heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, yet... In the first century, shepherds didn't have the best of reputations. In fact, most historical sources point out that at this time in history, shepherds were actually looked down upon, mainly because they pretty much lived out with the sheep. They were viewed as being unclean and definitely far away from the religious elite. It was a tough job, burning sun for those of us that just went to Israel. We got there at a good time, but there were a couple days of heat only in the 90s. They would have had it even worse, burning sun, freezing cold carrying all the food and the water, fighting off wild animals most nights. When you begin to think about that, it was probably pretty hard for a shepherd to get a good night of sleep. And I don't know about anybody else, but it is very weird to talk about the shepherd, but my last name is Shepherd. And every time I say shepherd, it just sounds funny and weird. They couldn't sleep all day. They had to watch. They were looked down upon society. Mundane aspects. I mean, what do you do when you watch a sheep? For the most part, if they're not being attacked. This on a rock. Oh, I see him walking over there. Up oh, there they are eating again. Oh, that's it. Sound pretty uh, good to anybody? Pretty mundane? Get a little bit of sleep, wake up the next day. Well, I see they've wandered over a little bit. Looks like Billy likes Susie. What do you do? I mean, these, are, these guys are alone to their thoughts and a bunch of sheep. Doesn't sound too intriguing. They're away from home all the time. I think if, if I was to think about it today, I would say that they probably felt pretty stuck in what they did, just like a lot of us. Yet it was in this setting that God comes to deliver this great news. In our opening text, it says in verse 10, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Listen, I believe that God chose to reveal this good news first to lowly shepherds because he was saying loud and clear that this is good news for everyone. And God wanted them to know that. For the Jew, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, the Samaritans, the wealthy, the poor, men and women, Absolutely great news 
for absolutely everyone. And he comes to these shepherds who probably most of the time didn't know their future, trapped by mundane deals, and were really probably going nowhere. Let's pick up the story in verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now here's the thing that I want you to notice before I give you point number two. He's speaking to these groups of shepherds, these men, out in the field. And he tells them, you're going to go and you're going to find this baby. I think it's very important that we understand the Christmas story. This is why we're doing this today. He says, you're going to go and find the baby. But here's the thing. Did the angel tell them where the baby exactly was in that passage of scripture that we just read? Mm -mm. Point number two. The shepherds take God's holy hint. Angels speaking on behalf of God say, you're going to go find the baby. He's going to be wrapped in swallowing clothes in a manger. That's all. That's all he says. Now let's go to verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, let us go to, what's the next word? Bethlehem. Wasn't said. So could it be that they had some type of understanding of where this baby would come from? From the words of prophets, we, we don't know. But apparently they knew enough to know that after the angel was gone, someone took a hint that God was kind of pointing him in this general area, and they decided to call it out by name and said, we're going to go to Bethlehem, and we're going to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they begin to move. They had to make a choice, not only to hear the good news, but to pursue it and to experience it. So here's the deal. Sometimes, if you think about it, when we get discouraged and we feel hopeless in a situation, have you noticed we don't listen very well? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed in times of frustration that your listening ability to actual facts are kind of missing? Because you're giving way to these things called feelings. Anybody ever been there before? Your feelings and your emotions, they get so riled up. You're having a conversation with someone. And because your feelings are all wrapped up, you're not hearing facts. Gentlemen in the room, I get to pick on you because really I'm picking on me. It's like when your wife starts talking about something that you're not too interested in. And you find yourself going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then they ask you, hey, did you hear me? And you're like, oh, yeah, you know. No, you weren't. you weren't. You weren't listening. Am I the only one who's ever been there before? Like, you're just checked out. Wife comes home, 20,000 extra words in a day. In our house, it's reversed. She's the quiet one. I'm the talkative one. If we have a problem in our household, I am the processor, which means I need to speak it out to get to a solution. So I'm not the guy who just goes, I need to talk. And as I talk, clarity comes. And most of the time, she's been saying it the whole time. It just took me like 20 years to actually get there. Am I the only one who feels that way? But, thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Why are all my Raiders fans like, y'all messing with me today? 
It's, it's amazing. She's saying what needs to be said, but I wasn't listening. I think there are times in the lives of those who follow Christ where he's been talking the whole time, but you've been too distracted by the hopelessness you feel that even when God is saying, I'm the God of all hope, I'm the God who gives peace, you've let life speak way too loud, even for a loud God, that you just, you, you miss it. You miss the little things. I, I think it's important for us to know that in those situations where we're, we're so busy feeling bad, hopeless, caught up in the things of life, that there's a God who has really good news for us. The book of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verse 19 says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, and then watch what he says here. Do you not perceive and know it? And then he says this, and will you not give heed to it? He then goes on to say, I will even make a way in the wilderness. What's, what's the wilderness? It's the hopelessness that we feel. It's the anxiety that we have. It's the depression we're fighting. It's the tension in the family. It's finances. It's this. It's that. It's kids who are doing cartwheels in classrooms, and you're getting a notification on your phone that your kid is the one who's doing the cartwheels in the classroom, and it hit a kid in the face, and you've talked to him 10 times. <laughs> Jacob, if you're listening to this podcast when you're 16, I love you, son. <laughs> but it's like, Vanessa and I like, what more is it going to take? You just feel like you're in this wilderness of stuff, right? But it says he'll, he'll make a way. It's like, God, straighten that kid out. Because if you don't, I'm going to lose my mind. God said, I know I'm joking, but you guys are laughing. So I kind of like it when you laugh. <laughs> I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers. In the, what, what, what's God saying? God is literally saying this. Where you feel like everything's against you, I could do a new thing. I can make everything all right if you put your hope and your trust in me. Stop feeling hopeless. Stop giving in to the tension. Start to deal with things my way and see what I could do. It goes all the way back to what I said at the beginning. When you think you can fix the problems that you have in your own might and strength, friends, you'll fail every time. But when you give it over to God... I believe God will help. You need to know that the dullness of, often, of hearing often accompanies discouragement and hopelessness as somebody would come up and we get ready to close. I think God, a lot of the time, is always speaking. The question is, is are we listening? He goes on to say in Isaiah, or in the, in the previous verse that we read, that he says, will you not discern it? And then he says, will you not give heed to it? Can I ask you a question? What are some things that you know God is pushing in your life that you know you need to take care of that you're not? Do you have an area in your life that's like that? I do. I'm going to raise my hand up on stage. I've got areas where God is saying, hey, I need you to deal with that and take heed to that. I think what's so comforting about that is the fact that God cares enough to check me. I tell people this often, when you don't hear the conviction of God daily in your life, that your heart needs to be checked.
don't say that mean. I just say that lovingly and kind. I love my boys, even though I joke about them all the time. But I love them enough to always, always raise them and show them right from wrong. The other day, I came home, and this time it didn't involve a teacher at school, so that was kind of nice, to find out that, that MJ had actually hit his brother. Now, as far as I could really recall, I think this is the first time this has really happened in a way where I think, like, I felt like a nudge, just go, ooh, we're going we're gonna to really, really deal with this. I came from a very abusive home, as a lot of you guys know. Not just my brothers and I fighting, but my, my stepfather. So one of the things that I've always wanted in my house that I'll always fight for is, is no fighting. Never laying a hand on each other. Because I've seen what that can do in a home. I know boys will be boys, but in the shepherd household, they won't. And so I can remember it's Friday, Friday night, which for us is always family movie night. Um, every Friday, stop up at Nucci's, grab a pizza. I come home, we completely rearrange our whole front living room. The bed gets rolled out, all the pillows, the cushions, the blankets. And it's, uh, the boys pick a movie. It's every Friday night. It's what we do. And they look forward to it. And if we uh, aren't doing it, or they sense we aren't doing it, they let us know very quickly. Like, hey, it's family movie night, right? Like, yeah. But I came home and Vanessa, you know, had told me what had happened. And so Vanessa wasn't feeling too well. So she went, you know, to the room and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'll work with the boys on this one. So I remember we sat down and we're not sitting down in the living room where the blankets and all that stuff is, which right away they know something's up. And they're like, hey, Dad. I'm like, hey, boys. So I remember we're sitting down. And I remember I looked at them. I said, you know, guys, there's a lot of things that will happen in our home because we're a family and we're going to journey this together. I said, but one of the things we'll never do is we'll never lay a hand on another person in this house. And I looked at them in the way that they know. And I always do this. And I go, we're shepherds. I go, we don't hit each other. And I paused. You know, because when you're dad, you got to put that face on, right? I paused, and they're kind of looking at me like, what's he going to say next? I said, we're shepherds. We, we don't do that. And I paused, and I said, ever. And I paused again. And I said, ever again. <laughs> and they're like, okay, dad, ever. I go, okay, cool, you got it. So then I got quiet. And about two minutes later, MJ, in the only way that he can, he's the sensitive one. And he goes, Dad, you just start. I go, yeah. He goes, I just got to tell you what happened. I go, okay. So he begins to tell me, I just lost my temper. And I grabbed him by the back. I threw him down to the ground. I mean, he's just sobbing. And Jacob's just sitting there going. Because <laughs> that's Jacob, you know. And so I look at MJ and I go, buddy, I go, I sure love you. And I saw, as soon as I said, I sure love you, kind of peeked up a little bit. And then now instead of looking down here, he, he looked into my eyes. And I said, buddy, I sure do love you. And I said, and I love you enough to raise you the way God would want me to. And I said, we're just not going to do that no more. Well, then Jacob starts to pick up on it. And so now all of a sudden I look over now, Jacob's face is turning red. And now he starts crying. And I'm like, oh. He goes, Dad? I go, yeah, buddy. And I'm thinking he's going to talk about him and MJ. No, no. So uh, he's like doing this to me. Stay at school. 
I'm like, are you trying to like horse up some tears right now? Like, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, well, I might have on the playground. I, um, well, I might have thrown somebody off the top of the slide. And I'm just like, man, this just turned again. I got to deal with this. He threw a kid off. So anyways, but I say all that to say this. In that moment, I realized, I was like, okay, because these are my boys, because they're a gift from God, and our job is to, stu- listen, my kids are, I mean, they're our kids, but they're God's kids. If you're a parent in here, listen to me. Your job is to steward the gift that God has given you. That's, that's your job. You can call them your kids, but at the end of the day, they're his kids. So your job is to, to steward them to the best of your ability. In that moment, as I was trying to have this conversation with my boys and then telling them that we weren't having a movie night, which resulted in more tears, um, I realized, because I loved them enough to talk with them and to teach them, years from now, they're, they're going to probably look back at that and go, okay, dad cared. I know, I know I'm just using an illustration here, but listen to me. How many times has God set you down at the table of life and spoke to you and said, hey, I love you. I want you to work on this. How many times has God done that? He does it because he cares. And for some of us, man, listen, I get it. We come from 30, 40, 50 years ago of church that painted a picture of God who points a finger in your face and tells you you're not good enough and beats you around a little bit. That is not God. And there are certain life statements that I live my life by. When it comes to the love of God, here's my life statement. If God could get you alone for five minutes, face to face, what do you think he'd tell you? What would he say? And for some of you in your mind, you are programmed to think God would tell me all the things I'm doing wrong and all the things I should have changed. And I'm here to tell you, no, he wouldn't. If God got you alone for five minutes face to face, he'd look into your eyes and he'd tell you how much he loves you, how proud he is of you, what he wants to do with your life. That's that's the God that we serve. And I think a lot of the time there are these hints that God is always, always speaking to you. If you would just listen to them, they'd change your life. Last week, before I give you point number three, I had one of those moments where I just felt God was hinting at something, and it was in this service. We were given an altar call, one young man, he was sitting right over here. I knew from the minute he walked in, God was going to get a hold of him. I'm telling you, like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm a supernatural, I believe in the supernatural, but I'm not like a prophet, I, I, don't, I don't have that gift, I'm a teacher, preacher. And I really love hanging out with people. That's my gift. But I knew the minute I saw that young man, when he walked in, I said hello to him real quick. And then he sat right over here. And the whole time I preached, I knew it. I knew the minute we gave that altar call, I knew it. And without a doubt, hand goes right up. After service, got to speak with him a little bit. Started to kind of get a little bit of an idea of what his life story was. Asked him if he had a Bible. He says, yeah. He goes, I know I have one. I just don't know where it is. So I ran up top to my office, gave him mine. 
Say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the book of Proverbs and the book of John this week. So I text him and go, hey, how's it going? He says, I've been in the Word every day this week. Phenomenal. Little hint. But then I said something last week. I said, there's somebody else in here. Your heart has grown far from the Lord. You got the motion of coming to church and being a part, but in your heart, there's a separation here. Three different people, as we were out there eating really, really good food, thank you for everyone who did that, three different times came up. That was for me, Pastor. That was for me, Pastor. That was for me, Pastor. Listen, that's not to make me look good. I just heard God hint at something. But what I'm saying is, guys, when you feel God tugging at your heart and at your spirit, those hints, trust him. Allow him to speak into your life. The answer you need on the problem you're facing is going to be found in a holy hint. And I'm praying this week, I mean, my prayer this week as we get done with this message, my prayer is that as God is hinting at you all week long, that you hear him, that you take heed to it, and that you make the change in whatever it is. I really feel in my heart, preparing this week, thinking about this message, praying over this, that this would be a week where you begin to hear God more clearly. Change your life. Would you stand to your feet as I give you point number three? Because it's my favorite part of the whole story. Point number three is that the shepherds spread the joy. It says in verse 17, now when they had seen him, seen who? They made the the track to Bethlehem. They took the holy hint. They found him. Now when they had seen them, or him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who had heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. And they began to spread the joy. Look at Luke 2.20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told. Where did they return to? The sheep. Where did they return to? Their normal, everyday, mundane life. But they returned with their hearts filled with hope. I'm saying, I believe with all of my heart that there's power in the things that seem mundane. Friend, reading your Bible every day may seem mundane, but there's power. Praying every day on your way to work may seem mundane, but there's power. Going to church on Sunday, the first of the week, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2, may seem mundane, but there's power. Praying with your kids at night may seem mundane, but there's power. Especially when you go to pray with them and they repeat the prayer before you do. I used to think, God, why am I doing this every night with my boys? They remember it all. There's power in mundane. Because there's the 